friends. Welcome to another episode of Everything Went Black. This week, my good friend Paul Aloisio from Restless Spirit joins us. Uh, he's, this is his second time on the show. Restless Spirit and Tombs, along with Cloak, did a uh, short East Coast tour earlier this year. And uh, Paul and I hit it off. Uh, great guy, excellent band, and we share a love for horror movies and horror fiction. So with the impending release of the brand new Hellraiser film, it makes a lot of sense for Paul and I to catch up on this topic and discuss our hopes for this new film, as well as talk about our experiences with the franchise and the incredible Clive Barker novel, The Hellbound Heart. Before we get going, I want to shout out the fellow podcast Legionnaires, and of course that's Horrorwolf666, hosted by Brandon Legion. Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith. Of course, this is Everything Went Black. And then, of course, we have my other horror-related podcast, Necromaniacs, co-hosted by myself, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. Additionally, we have some uh, new members to the group, on Sundays, for all things occult and weird, Carl Haikara brings us Sold Knox, and uh, my good friend Cheyenne from the band Trivax has his excellent podcast, Iblis Manifestations. So we got you covered pretty much seven days a week. We have podcast action with a lot of diversity, a lot of diversity of topics, a lot of different points of view. And it's just all in all a really incredible time that this whole group of individuals has sprung up organically. I'd like to thank everyone for their continued support on Patreon. The group is growing, we're going strong. Uh, and I just wanna run down the ways that you can help support the show. For $1 a month, you get access to all of the bonus content, which means uh, we have full sub-series out there. Ralph and I do a weird fiction podcast that's only available on Patreon called Long Shadows. There's a brand new show that's going to be debuting in another month that features Evan Hopper of the band Quell. He and I are going to be talking about Everything Went Black movie classics, which uh, we just deep dive into some classic film from the 70s or 80s or 90s. And it's uh, not necessarily limited to any particular genre, so everything's fair game. Now, for $5 a month, you get all the bonus content, and you additionally get early access to all of the regular stream episodes. And I rolled out a brand new sponsor-only tier. For $25 a month, I will give you a custom read for your business, your project, your band, once a month, you get a custom read on the free stream, and that's $25. And also, additionally, you get access to all the bonus content, as well as early access to the regular stream. Now, on with the show. Paul, it's great hearing from you again. Uh, apologies for missing you guys. Um, I had some mechanical problems, you know, and out here living in the hinterlands of New Jersey. Uh, you need you need uh, transportation to get around, you know? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> all good. How was the show, by the way? Oh, it it was it was fucking sick, actually. Like, I really didn't know how it was gonna go because it was like just a straight up death metal show, you know. But uh, it was it was really good. Like, people were super into it. Sold some merch. I was expecting to get just you know the stare. <laughs> but uh, no, all things considered, it was really really awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's sometimes when um, you know there's like a weird crowd or a crowd you're not that's not used to what you do. It could be an uphill battle at times, you know. Yeah, but like to be honest, though, it was like the one thing that I thought kind of sucked was that it was like literally just too packed, you know. And I'm not that tall, so I couldn't see like any bands after play. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Well, one of the, besides from uh, you know enjoying conversation with you, one of the reasons why I asked you back onto the show was to talk about the impending release of this new Hellraiser movie. And, yeah, um, are are you a fan of uh, of the Hellraiser franchise in general or any of that stuff? Uh, I absolutely am, but I'm also super critical of it, so it's like weird. Um, well, like I feel like as most people of this franchise are because it's so hit or miss and honestly mostly miss but just like the lore and uh, everything presented in the original story and the original movie uh really it is just so like captivating and beyond most like any other horror that i've ever experienced i i think it's completely unique and uh, I think there's so much that can be done with it, but it's frustrating because most of the time they take the easy way out. Instead of trying to be inventive and exploring this whole world, it's just, you know, kind of garbage movies, to be honest, to capitalize and, and use Pinhead in it. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing a reboot because I think everybody knows at this point that, you know, for the past, I don't know, two decades or something like that, the movies have just been trash and kind of just made, from what I understand, kind of just made so, uh, you know, they could retain the rights to keep making Hellraiser movies. So they're just like pumping them out whenever they have to. Right on, man. Oh, before we get too deep into this, um, any anyone who missed the first uh, episode that Paul was on, besides from being a rock and roller, um, you also uh, had, in a former life, used to be a, a horror journalist. So you, before we get into the, the meat of uh, talking about Hellraiser, just give everyone a little preview about the kind of work you used to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I used to do quite a bit, um, you know, back before the pandemic hit. And then even that really took a, took a serious nosedive because uh, even though I was a freelance writer, um, you know, people, they couldn't afford to either keep their sites going or they couldn't afford to pay writers or there honestly wasn't even that much news because everything was like, this this production halted, this production canceled. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking to get back into it eventually, but life has just been so hectic with everything else right now. And uh, to be honest, it's sort of like one of those things where I have a tendency to just everything I really love doing, I end up making it like almost a job. You know what I mean? 
So it's it's been really nice to actually just enjoy you know horror movies just for the sake of them without having to make deadlines and, uh, for lack of a better word, content or pieces about them. So I'm, I guess I'm really in no rush right now, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I mean, I um, you know, I'm, I'm also passionate, obviously, about horror. And uh, you know, for anyone out there who doesn't check out. My uh, the horror podcast that I uh, I co-host with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid, uh, that of course that would be Necromaniacs. Um, every week we talk about a film, uh, you know, either new or classic. And uh, as you can tell, we all love talking about this genre, you know, and it's um, it's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, so let me ask you, Paul, did you get into Hellraiser through Clive Barker's books or through the movies? So Hellraiser is an interesting one to me, especially because of how it affected me. Um, I don't know if we talked about this last podcast, but uh, one of the only movies that like actually really scared me and like disturbed me was when I saw The Exorcist. And I was like, I don't know, 11, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it scared me so bad. I slept in my brother's bed for a week and they were like, Get out of here. <laughs> um, so a little around even, I would say a little earlier than that, or maybe around the time, I don't really remember the time frame, but I think it was like a, uh, we went to a Halloween party of a family friend and they had scary movies playing. And, uh, you know, I was very young and the scene at the end of the first Hellraiser, the Jesus wept scene. Right. Uh, I remember seeing that and just so beyond disturbed, just like that was the scariest thing. My young mind could have, it was beyond the scariest thing that I could have imagined. Like to this, to this day, that whole scene is, it's pretty fucked up, you know, with all the chains and his face is all stretched out. And then, you know, he, he just says, Jesus wept and his head explodes. Um, so, for years I just had that image in the back of my mind and to be honest I didn't watch it until I was about 22 years old because I was so scared that was the only movie that I was scared to watch I'd seen everything under the sun at this point uh, but I I was too scared to see Hellraiser so I finally did it and obviously it wasn't as bad as my childlike mind thought it would be and uh, in that in that meantime I I read The Hellbound Heart. Right. I got it from the library. And I remember thinking um, that it was, I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Like in the very beginning of the book, uh, when Frank, you know, summons the Cenobites and it's not in the movie, but I remember distinctly, um, you know, there's one Cenobite like naked sitting on like, a throne of heads almost. Yeah. And yeah. it, it describes like the brains rolling out of their ears and tongues lolling out of their mouth. And it, it was just disgusting. So after I read that, I was kind of like, all right, they can't show everything in the movie. So I watched it and I was like, I'm, I'm mad that it took me so long to work up that courage. Cause at the time I was 22, I'd seen so many movies, so many movies, but I, I just didn't want to watch Hellraiser. I was just too freaked out. 
And uh, I finally did, and I thought it was absolutely incredible. And uh, so I was, I was pretty hooked on the series ever since. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was definitely one of the films that disturbed me as a young person as well. I mean, I saw, um, you know, Exorcist was my sort of entry-level thing into horror movies. I saw that with my parents, actually, at a drive-in. Well, <laughs> and I was like way too young to see a film like that. So I would say the movies that really disturbed me and affected me deeply was The Exorcist for sure, Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead. Okay, I saw that when I was you know young, and it fucked me up too. And I know that you know people look back and it's campy and whatever, but the sheer weirdness of that movie like how weird everything looked and how the filming made it look like a home movie kind of yeah like just fucking freaked me out and then hellraiser because hellraiser i think uh similar to the exorcist and similar to um like by, at the time i saw hellraiser i'd already been been reading hp lovecraft and there was the idea that there was some other like realm out there that is juxtaposition to our reality that through some kind of bizarre technology we can cross paths with entities that live in that other realm that will change us you know and that's that's essentially you know this, they reveal later on that the Cenobites something you know, over human you know next in um Hellraiser 2 you know if you're, if you're going to follow the mythos of the um of the films you know they were all humans that flew too close to the sun and like forever changed by their interactions with these entities and you know in the the gash i think is what they call it in the book you know yeah yeah uh, that's also something while rereading the novella i had completely forgotten about but the gash is um basically i guess it's their like covenant or something like that yeah yeah, Lords of the Gash or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sketchy. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, definitely. And, uh, like, as you said, even about Evil Dead, um, the weirdness and just, like, the bizarre nature of it. I've, I've always thought there's such, like, a fine line between humor and horror because it's just the further reaches of what's normal. And... Yeah, so you have Evil Dead, which is it's it's obviously campy, but when juxtaposed with the scary parts, I feel it becomes even more unsettling. But on the other hand, you have something like Hellraiser, which is just it's just bleak and very. It, I guess you could call it Lovecraftian because it's a little bit like cosmos further reaches type indescribable the pain and the pleasure that they're exploring. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely get what you're saying about um, that whole concept for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think so actually, because I mean, I would, I would classify it as a weird tale, like cosmic tale, cosmic horror, um, you know, because there's no magic per se. It's bizarre technology that connects our reality to the reality of the Cenobites. You know, they have like a, uh, this, you know, the La Marchand uh, configuration. And it's like basically a piece of technology that, you know, this, this guy La Marchand made. And um, that 
creates a bunch of uh, you know some kind of um, device to open up a portal, and then these Cenobites come in, and it's like a kinky Lovecraftian tale. If Lovecraft, you know, was into like like bizarre sex and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it's extremely well. I think that's another really disturbing aspects of it because it's like you know the way that I see it is if I really had to describe it in its most basic terms, it's like a erotic Lovecraftian haunted house story. Yeah. Yeah. Basically I, I'm totally, totally down with that description too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think that even like going on a slight tangent of Lovecraft and what makes something Lovecraftian, it's like, it needs to be said, you don't need tentacles <laughs> to, to be Lovecraftian. I think the whole idea is sort of going beyond the reaches of what we can understand, what's normal, what's the strange, uh, sort of like the indescribable. And, and something that I love about uh, Lovecraft is that there are times where he doesn't even try because, he, you know, in his writings, it was just like, it was an indescribable thing. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. We, we, we can't comprehend it. And that goes into... It definitely what you know the whole Cenobites missions are when they you know they're demons to some angels to others and beyond pleasure beyond pain it's just like I could not imagine it and every time I watch that movie and I really think deeply about you know what these creatures are doing to themselves and others and you know explorers of the further reaches and it it truly is indescribable and that's pretty scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think that's pretty scary to everybody because the unknown for most people is the scariest thing. Yeah, and also even like like it's, that concept kind of centers around uh, Frank. Yeah, the the you know Frank Cotton in the movie, and uh, played by uh, excellent Sean Chapman, the actor, British actor. Uh, real real quick in the film. I, I always trip out on how uh, Frank and Larry, uh, you know, played by Andrew Robinson, how they're brothers, but they don't look anything alike. Like, like no. Frank, <laughs> ironically, Frank looks like a dude that's from like Staten Island or something like that, you know, even though he's British, yeah. you know, he has like, like a gold chain. He's like kind of dark Italian looking guy. <laughs> and Larry looks like he's from like the Midwest or something, you know? Yeah. You know, that that's insane. I actually didn't know he was British. I literally thought he was just like an Italian dude from America. <laughs> yeah. Like he was like some Lower East side, like, you know, um, you know, like stage actor or something like that, you know? Yeah. And he even wears a white feeder, you know? Yeah. Um, real, real quick aside about Sean Chapman, all of his lines in both films are ADR. They're all overdubbed. Really? Because of his accent, because uh, he could not get that American accent down. So they had somebody, uh, I, I'm, I can't remember the name of the actor, but somebody did all of his lines over. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. If you look real that's close, you can, now, if you know that and you look really close, you can kind of see that it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, it looks like a little bit dubby, you know? Yeah. Wow. You know, there there is also a very... When I was rewatching it in the past couple of days, I realized there is a lot of I don't uh, how do I describe this? The sound design of the movie itself and just the tone 
and uh, you know the general atmosphere that's given through sound in that movie is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess maybe that also makes sense having you know a little otherworldliness to it with the ADR with Frank. You know, I always thought you know like the come to daddy and when he's being all weird with Kiersey and whatnot. Um, that was super unsettling, and you know that might have something to do with it because it it clearly wasn't natural yeah no definitely the um the thing about that character too is is like there's this guy who is just bored with normal sexual interactions with people and that is what propels him into this total realm of darkness and depravity you know it's like such a an out there concept especially for like when when i like first started checking out this movie when I was a kid, I was like, man, you mean you, you get tired of, of having sex with women in a, in a way that and you need more. And then it's like, what are, what are these other ways? What are these other realms of pleasure and pain that this guy is like searching for? And the Cenobites are providing to him, you know, cause similar to Lovecraft, Lovecraft, they don't go into explicit details. Really. They kind of hint at stuff. They touch on certain things but it's all really left up to your own imagination, even in the film and in the, in the, in the novella to expand on what they're actually doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I like how in the novella, it's sort of like, obviously sex is a huge part of Frank's desire to open up the box, but it also goes into detail how, you know, he's lived this like crazy life. And I think like he, he spent some time like smuggling heroin and he'd be rich and then lose it all. So it's just, this human that kind of has no real respect for the human experience and just wants to take it further and further and further. And then he finally does. And, you know, he sort of realized it's, it's too much for him. Yeah. As, and he wants to come back and he wants to cheat out uh, the Cenobites and he wants to be out of their power. One of the things that they play up more in the Clive Barker novella that isn't necessarily present in the um, in the film is is how much of like a sort of romantic love story that Frank and Julia have. I mean, yeah, it's like all depraved and sexual. And there's a point when in the novella when Frank comes back and he's like telling Julia, he's like, you know, maybe if I had found you earlier in my life, I would have had something to live for, and uh, you know, I wouldn't have gone into all this stuff, you know. And in, and in the film. You know, Frank is just kind of like a little bit less nuanced and uh, was more is more of like a two dimensional character where he's just like, yeah, I just want to wild out, you know, totally just depravity and, you know, and and using Julia, obviously, um, for for his own end, you know. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think that if I had one complaint about the movie, um, because I have so very few of that first Hellraiser movie, but um, comparing it to the Hellbound Heart, I really liked even how Kirstie, Kirstie, however you say it, um, she was not, uh, you know, she was just a friend. And uh, she almost has this, this like unrequited love as well. And in the movie, they changed her to being a daughter. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I guess for simplicity's sake, or I, I'm still not really sure why they decided to do that. Um, but I kind of think it takes away uh, a little bit from the story for me because you had this whole 
you know, it's not even a triangle at this point. You have so many different moving parts and all these people wanting each other. And the book is so much about, you know, desire, you know, of the heart or, you know, for lust and, and stuff like that. And I think, I think that that's something that was definitely lost in translation, at least for me watching the movie. Yeah, I think for simplicity's uh, sake, you know, I mean, in a 90-minute film to develop something like that, probably it would have been just as easy to, okay, let's, let's simplify it. And this is how they're connected, their, you know, daughter and, and father relationship. Yeah. But no, I, I agree with you. I, I appreciate that, the emotional aspect of the, of the novella, which suffered a little bit in the film. A little bit the film was a little bit more visceral you know yeah i mean even even the very ending of the book sort of it it it's almost it ends in like a longing note yeah you know cause she sort of says how you know like maybe one day she'll find the right i'm paraphrasing but the pieces to the puzzle and maybe she'll find a way to you know make things right um and uh what sorry Actually, I'm blanking now because in the book, his name is Rory. Is yeah, it? Rory is the. It's not Larry. Larry is the main character in the, or not the, the yeah. quote unquote father character in the movie, and yeah. Rory is his name in the book. I'm so bad with names for everything. So like, <laughs> <laughs> little changes like that going from like the book into the movie only matter when I'm like trying to talk to someone about it, because besides that, I'm I'm just like, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so and, and that's another thing that I think um I, I guess it's more of just the subtext that I really love in the book. And um I know, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit pretentious to be one of those guys that's like, I prefer the book. But um I, I definitely think in this case it's true, and I do think the movie is a masterpiece, but at the same time, there is so much loss because you have to commercialize it in a way and you can't get all of those complex ideas into film and expect to make money or have something that everyone will understand. Um, but I mean, besides that, it was also pretty striking to me beyond those few concepts, how faithfully the movie was to the book. Yeah. I mean, it basically follows the the whole narrative of the book you know what I mean? And, uh, and like I said, there are some structural changes that just to make it a, a film basically that had to happen. I think, you know, yeah. The one, the one thing though, is like that weird Jethro tall looking guy, like the homeless dude that's in the movie. Yeah. It's not in the book. And I still have no fucking idea what he's supposed to be in the film. Even though I've seen the movie, like I don't know how many <laughs> countless times, I don't know what significance that guy has. I'm happy you said that because yes, yeah, same here. I, I've seen that movie more times than I can count, and I was rewatching it the other day, and I was like, maybe this time it'll make sense. <laughs> and then he shows up in the last frame of the second movie, too. Yep, that's right. And I still, it's just like this thread that's never resolved anywhere, at least, at least not to me. So if anyone out there has any ideas about who this guy is or what his purpose is, um, you know, please enlighten us about that. Because he turns into some weird fucking bone dragon. <laughs> Yeah. At the end of the first movie, it was like, what the hell is going on here? I figured maybe, I don't know, maybe it was like, and like something to do with Satan or something like, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still can't figure it out. Uh, so, 
similar to Halloween, the Halloween franchise, right? Now, you got to remember, th- these movies came out in the 80s, uh, horror franchises were the name of the game. You know, you had Halloween, you know, you had Friday the 13th, you had, um, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's like you, the, long, the long game was in place. So, of course, there was a second Hellraiser that came out. And similar to Halloween, like I said earlier, I think one and two tell the story, you know. And honestly, really just one, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but two was like, okay, it takes place. We got, you know, this, the insane asylum. We got, you know, J- Julia is like in hell somewhere and comes back. And um but I kind of feel like they should have stopped it too. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, to be honest, I would kind of argue that the second was unnecessary as well. Yeah. Um, and I've always, you know, it's kind of disappointing because as I get older and the more I analyze things and, you know, as like a, when I was just, let's just say, a horror civilian, right? <laughs> Before I started like writing and stuff and really analyzing everything, it definitely changed the way that I sort of consume this type of media. And, uh, you know, so when I prepare for something, and I, I, I look at it a little more deeply than if I was just enjoying it in the past, going to watch a movie. And uh, especially like preparing for this podcast and going back and revisiting these movies, I gotta say, I thought I really liked the second movie for a long time, and I watched it this week, and it didn't do as much for me as it used to. Yeah, I'm on board with that. You know, it's like, it's a stretch to have the second one in there, and um, the first one's such a perfect story. It ends, and the thing I don't like about the second one is what when they try to describe a past for the Cenobites, or, you know, specifically... Uh, you know, the hell priest, you know, I, I hate to use the term pinhead because, you know, it's not really what he's ever called. Yeah. Um, you know, that or with Doug Bradley's character, you know, they, they kind of humanize him and all that. I'm like, I don't want to hear about that. I want him to be this mysterious character that may or may, may, may or may not have been human at one point, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the, the many flaws that I saw with the second movie. Because it's as we were talking about before, about you know the Lovecraftian influence and whatnot, that's completely taken away when you start explaining things and rationalizing things. And uh, they almost made him like at the end of the second movie as like redeemable. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, well, what the fuck? Because then you turn him into a cartoon character. Well. That's exactly what happened in, in the next uh, the several movies. Really, I mean, when, yeah. when did you when did you tap out on it? Did you have you seen all of the all of the sequels? Honestly, I I have seen every single one besides the most recent two. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, absolutely every single one out of curiosity, and to be honest, a lot of them I enjoyed. Really? Not be not because they were good movies at all. Okay. Because they it was just you know, you're bored, you got nothing to do. Okay, Doug Bradley always delivers his lines pretty cool. Okay, Lance Henriksen is in this one about, like, the fucking internet. or like. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed most of them for what they were. And once I, you know, really got over wanting the Hellraiser franchise to be anything more than what it is, which 
it's just schlock after the first movie, truly. Um, it, it allows me to enjoy some of them. Like I said, definitely not all of them. Um, but, you know, some of them are just really dumb fun and emphasis on the dumb because they're, they're not good movies. Uh, but they're funny. A lot of them, they're ridiculous. And, you know, interesting people show up from time to time. Like uh, Henry Cavill is in one of them. Oh, okay. Uh, but no, like if anyone asks, should I watch them? The answer is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched three, you know, Hell on Earth and, yeah. and uh, Bloodline. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember the plot of Bloodline. And uh, three was like completely unwatchable to me. And uh, and then I kind of tapped out. I, I hadn't. I haven't seen anything since um, since Bloodline. So I would actually say that I like Bloodline better than uh, Three Hell on Earth. Okay. And uh, after that, the only one that I would ever probably ever really go and rewatch at this point is Hellworld, because that's the, like the hilarious internet one, and it's just so ridiculous. You know, it's like when you go and watch The Room. Or you go and watch like Troll Two. It's just bullshit, but you also get a lot of blood, and you get Doug Bradley, so it's kind of worth it. Um, but you know, once again, I'm not defending these movies. I'm not recommending anyone watching them. <laughs> they're bad. They're really bad. But they're they're kind of dumb fun, uh, especially especially if you're able to put your bra- turn your brain off. Sorry. And to be honest, I also sort of had to do that with the second one. And I'm so surprised how it's so highly regarded at this point. Um, Also, uh, another point I want to bring up about like the ridiculousness and how so many people, you know, revere the second, like it's a classic is the very end when Tiffany is holding on to quote unquote, Julia's arm. Yeah. so, So she doesn't fall into the pit. Right. And then her skin peels off and you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is Julia being nice? And then, so Julia saves Tiffany and then Julia <laughs> takes off her face mask. And it's like, Oh, just kidding. Yeah. It was just Kirsty yep. in Ju- Julia's skin. Like what? <laughs> How is that not the most ridiculous thing in the world? And it's just accepted. Yeah, it's pretty preposterous because I, I rewatched it recently. Like like the first one, I feel like I almost don't have to rewatch the first one because it's like I've seen it so many times. And I have not seen uh, Hellbound, which is the title of the second one, that that much. And um yeah, it's it's um it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous, a lot of that stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I mean it it also, it's funny because I feel like what we're saying right now is sort of like, you know, it goes against the, the current opinion of most people, most horror fans. Um, and even my own opinion uh, for a long time, because I'd seen that movie very many times, but probably not in the last five years or something like that. So I was excited to rewatch it. And I was like, this is what I was into. I thought this was good. Now, I will say though, I from what I understand, the studio really hampered the production of that movie, and uh, you know, it wasn't the version we got wasn't the original intended movie. So maybe I'll give them that, but still. So that brings us to the current twenty twenty two. 
All right, now, we got two Hellraiser projects in the work, works right now, okay? Now, how much do you know about the, these films? Like, uh, the, the one that seems to be, to have the most, uh, like, you know, chatter is the 2022 film that is going to be on Hulu that's uh, directed by David Bruckner. Now, you know, what, you have any, if I've seen some trailers, uh, you know, it's, um, what, you, you have any thoughts on this? Like, what, what's your feel on this whole thing? So, the most recent Hellraiser before this was bad, right? But the one before that, from what I understand, that one was even worse. Okay. Um, so, to me, it seems like they need a success right now. Otherwise, they're, they're just doomed at this point, the Hellraiser movies. I, I think that there's kind of high stakes for it. Even using uh, the most recent Predator movie, Prey, as an example, uh, you know, people have been wanting an awesome Predator movie for a long time, and they just weren't getting it. But, uh, you know, then Prey came out. Did you see Prey? Yeah, we, we talked about it on Necromaniacs, yes. I thought it was pretty awesome. And uh, it seems to have pretty good... The general consensus is it's pretty good as well. Um, so I feel like they need, they need a Prey-type situation for this movie if the if the series is ever going to have any credibility again because you know i i'm probably the only person i know that would actually say that they've seen x amount of hellraiser movies outside the first three maybe four um so they don't have the best track record and i think that i'm a little I want to say I'm cautious, but I'm also not really because at this point I'll just take the bare minimum of a movie in the Hellraiser franchise being acceptable. So um, I'm not expecting anything mind blowing, although I would love that. But if I, if we end up getting a movie that's just okay, I will be satisfied at this point because it's gone so far downhill. Now, did you see the trailer? I think it just came out today. Yeah, I saw a trailer like first thing this morning. Yeah. What did you think about it? Um, it looked at visually, it looked good. Um, you know, it's uh, very slick looking. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it the trailer didn't reveal that much. That it didn't the the trailer didn't move me to be excited about watching it. I guess. Nah. Because here was the trailer to me, summed up in a couple words. A lot of screaming and a lot of chains. Yeah. And that's not what makes a good Hellraiser movie, but that's what the studios think makes a good Hellraiser movie. And that's why <laughs> we've only had one masterpiece so far. Yeah, I um you know, and we've seen that before. You know, we've seen and, and you know, Clive Barker, you know, is better at that presenting a film with chains and screaming and blood and you know all that kind of stuff then then Bruckner can be because I, I I gotta be honest I saw the the uh, the night house his other the film he did prior to this and um I, I didn't I wasn't really that into it honestly I haven't seen that yet um but I I heard a lot of chatter about it and saying how you know David Bruckner being at the helm should be a good thing uh yeah 
I, I don't really care who's making it as long as it's good. And I'm really not going to trust anybody's track record because it, it seems like it's almost impossible to make a good Hellraiser movie. It, it, that's like, unless you strip it back to basics and you almost do something that nobody wants. So you go back to being atmospheric and maybe tone down a little bit of the blood and the gore. Uh, because a lot of the the Hellraiser movies past the first one, like that was another thing that I was thinking about the second movie. It was just gore the whole time. Yeah. And the first one, sure, it's disgusting. It's disturbing. There's gore. But it had that atmosphere that none of the the other movies even come close. Like at all. And I think you need that to make a truly good Hellraiser movie because they keep going with these like more grander designs and everything being contained to a single house and this world that could be opened within a box and how your own home could be a haunted house is the coolest and scariest idea ever. Really. The whole movie goes on in, in a house, um, a pet store and a hospital. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's like, (laughs) that's it. And and like in the first one, like I was, you know, like we always talk about Lovecraft connections, and it almost has like that dreams in the witch house vibe, where there's like a, a room where all this crazy shit's going on, you know, and it's basically the same thing in Hellraiser in the first one, where Frank did all that stuff in that room, you know, he did all those rituals, and that's where he opened the portal, and that's ultimately where all that stuff happened was up in this one room in a house, you know, and I'd like to if if this new film can kind of get back to that vibe. I think it'd be, I'd be stoked about that. Have you, do you know the whole history, the development of ma- even making this film? Have you heard about like all the other people that were in, at one point involved in, in creating this? I remember following it for a while because they've been, they've been talking about, you know, a reboot, what seems like for years. And then I got a little confused because wasn't Showtime supposed to do a series or something like that? Oh, or oh I remember- that, that there is another. There's there's two different projects going on. There's this movie, right, which is uh, you know coming out with Bruckner at the helm, and then HBO is going to do a series. Okay, that, uh, so that yeah, Rough House is going to do that. That's um, the Danny McBride uh, production uh, team there. So the series is still happening. That's my understanding is that it's still happening. Uh, I do not know the release date on this. I know that this film is premiering, um, was it like Fantasia Festival, something like that, on October 6th? Or I think or, you know, it's going to premiere. At some, some form of debut is going to happen in October 6th in a couple of weeks. Gotcha. Well, so I didn't know if it had like the plans had changed or if they're two going on at the same time but uh i mean regardless i think it's sort of going to be a crapshoot at this point um whether or not i'd really be interested in watching a show because truthfully you know i love horror movies i love you know campy just dumb fun stuff but i don't really need to see just you know all that torture it's not scary really it's just kind of brainless and i think that's what a lot of the hellraiser movies have become just mindless torture uh so i'm hoping that won't be the case but i will say 
And also, I do agree with you not calling uh, Pinhead Pinhead because that wasn't how it was intended. And Clive Barker still doesn't acknowledge that. Yeah. Uh, so I will say the Hell Priest new design in the Hulu movie looks pretty awesome. I agree. It's Yeah, it's back to the whole androgynous thing like it was in the book. I feel like they're not trying to replicate Doug Bradley's character. And that would just be a fool's errand at this point to try to do. I agree with that completely. I mean, yeah, in the book, it would, the character is more androgynous. And, um, you know, and then, but then if you've only seen the films, you identify, uh, you know, the hell priest more with like a masculine sort of, uh, you know, visage like Doug, Doug Bradley, you know. But in the trailer, I noticed the voice has been pitched, you know, pitched. So it's a, a very androgynous appearance but there's a, a deep voice though associated with the um in the trailer which i thought was kind of cool yeah i was wondering how they're going to do that because i know that you know the design uh was more androgynous uh which is very similar to the hellbound heart but also in the hellbound heart when they described the hell priest voice it was almost like ethereal right like right. without sex mm -hmm. um without gender or anything like that and i i I definitely understand why they changed it for the original movie because I feel that Doug Bradley's character, uh, the voice they went with, it fit who they casted. Uh, so it's like, why is it taking them so long to just try something different if nothing else is working? Like, what what is the holdup in? Because it's like, yeah, they're creating movies, but they're probably not really making that much money, and no one liked them. So no, why do you need I, to go on for like eight movies? Yeah, I mean, I I I, I haven't even seen like I said, I tapped out on the after the fourth one. So there's like what like five movies that I didn't even see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there are, there are a lot of movies, man. Yeah. Now back in the beginning of this whole thing, like when they started sort of this concept of rebooting it, you know, when they when Barker was, uh, you know, he he was involved like back in 2006, and um, around that time. That's when like all the French extreme films were really big, like Inside and Martyrs and all that Martyrs. sort of stuff. Now the first the first team that they had connected to this was uh, Pascal Logier and um, Alexandre Alexander uh, Bastillo Bastillo, and they they're the guys who did Inside that French film. Mm -hmm. And then later on, they you know they they whatever ha something happened to them and they were not involved. And then a few years later, they announced um, Pascal Logier, who uh, was the guy who was behind Martyrs, one of my favorite of the French extreme films. Have you have you seen oh, that my, movie? I think Martyrs is, I I mean, everyone knows it's amazing, but it, you need to like experience it. Yeah, totally. if if you if you could handle the brutality, the story is so amazing. And I didn't know about this, but now, you know, it seems like that would be the perfect combination of, of people to be working on a Hellraiser movie because, you know, the whole idea of martyrs is like looking beyond basically like the veil and seeing yeah. the truth about, you know, the further reaches of, of the afterlife or if there's anything beyond. It's like, fuck, I wish you never told me that because now I'm disappointed. <laughs> no, that that's always been my, that's why I'm kind of down on this one because I was like, man, I, that's the movie I wanted to see. Like, that was announced like back in like, 
I don't know my notes here. Let's say um, 2008 is when they were talking about that, which makes sense because that was right around the time uh, Martyrs was released in the states. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that he, I guess he right right away, Logier had a problem with everybody. You know, besides from the fact that he's French and the French, you know, like to have problems with people. You know, it's like <laughs> the um, you know they they wanted to play a campier version, I guess, in line with some of the more recent films. And he wanted to play it like dead serious and grim and probably take some of the energy from martyrs and apply it to the Hellraiser, uh, you know, mythos. And that's what I wanted to see because that it fits so perfectly. You know, I mean, it, it really does. Dude. Yeah. So we, we'll you, never we'll never see that. though. <laughs> <laughs> you literally couldn't ask for a better match. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, so now, uh, you know, now we got, you know, what, what, like uh, 14 years later, we're finally, we have a release date, you know, we got, the film was made, we've got a creative team, you know, connected to it, David Bruckner, uh, who I'm not, you know, everyone, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm just not a fan of his movies, man, I don't know, I just, let's see, you know, I, I mean, he did The Ritual, which... I like that on the strength of Adam Neville's writing, you know. Yeah. The, I mean, the movie actually is quite a bit different than the book, but I thought that was cool. I did not like the the Nighthouse, and uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I I thought the ritual was I thought it was pretty good. Everyone yeah. keeps telling me to read the book, and I just haven't got around to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It, it it's like I was saying before. It's the best I could hope for is just an okay Hellraiser movie. Uh, I don't really think we'll ever see anything mind-blowing from this franchise again unless it gets a full reboot and, you know, while also taking it, like inspiration from the tone and the themes of the, uh, the, the first novel, right? Novella, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's so many things, even like... As much as I think the second movie is very, you know, corny and I think it's overrated, um, there was, you know, it, they really did go into, you know, more of the themes that were established in the Hellbound Heart. Like I remember uh, rewatching an end when Tiffany opens the box and, uh, you know, Doug Bradley's Hell Priest says, you know, stop, you know, you don't take her. It's not hands that open the box it's desire right Mm -hmm. so you know those themes are really not as present it's just like shitty people open the lament configuration and that's that and then cenobites come and you go to hell and you get tortured and i don't know i'd be very surprised if the movie (laughs) wasn't exactly that you know what i was hoping for as uh do you know did you ever read uh the scarlet gospels like um i guess like the sequel like the novel that came out uh yeah like a few years ago uh-huh now i'm not saying they should have adapted that to make the film but you know how that's involved with uh the, his his character harry damore like the uh, yeah occult um detective detective yeah i would have been really really excited if this new film you know had that element in it not necessarily adapting that novel 
but just taking some elements from that and creating like a universe to continue making more movies that might be a little bit more elevated than just like the gore fest that the last few films have been. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, as my, I thought that the Hellbound Heart, uh, sorry, the Scarlet Gospels was very, uh, it, it's not his strongest work, let's no, just say. Definitely. <laughs> but a lot of the ideas were more interesting than any of the, the movies that we really got. You know, he's essentially going to war with hell and yeah, the whole at the detective aspect. I also think there's a line in there where he says something about hating being called pinhead or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's when that's when that's when we finally get uh, Barker his his commentary on pinhead. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I feel like he possibly just wrote that book. He scribbled a bunch of things down, made it gory, kind of like an interesting book, but he just wanted to put in writing, my name's not Pinhead, fuck off. Yeah. I mean, I, I like you said earlier, it's not uh, one of his strongest pieces, but I, I really, I read it and the ideas and having that detective, you know, cult detective element, I thought was really, you know, kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, isn't he supposed to be, I, isn't he a character in other? Yeah. Where's uh, he from? There's two other short stories that come to mind that Harry Damore was in, uh, the name, uh, lost souls was one of them. And the final illusion, I think I'm butchering the title. Uh, the one of illusions is that, that was what the movie, they it, end up you know making, what? right? Maybe. Yes, I think so. Got you. Okay. Yeah. The short story appeared. Um, damn, I, I don't I, I used to know this, but, the version the, the, where, where I read the short stories were, was in a version of Cabal that had the, that novella plus a bunch of other stories in it. Oh, that's great. Cabal is great. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's some of his best work, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think that definitely would have been the way to go to do something completely unexpected. And, you know, if, if you want a movie with, you know, Pinhead, have him go to hell. <laughs> have him, like, fight those armies you know it, let's actually explore something besides him just coming and what it turned into is tormenting teenagers or tormenting crooked cops or people that were just shitty and essentially being like a, a moral judge it's like you're being punished and and that's what i'm afraid the tv show is going to be the h the hbo version of this thing it's going to be like a a weekly thing where he just torments people every week you know or every episode is you know like i don't know like that's i don't i don't see any real potential in in, in doing anything like that no i don't either it, it seems you know like you're saying like almost like uh <laughs> like law and order svu um <laughs> pinhead edition yeah yeah totally i mean the only way that maybe having a series might work is if they had this kind of epic tale that they wanted to tell over like six parts or something you know yeah but i think we both know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not happening yeah no definitely you know and though i like danny mcbride and he's not um you know technically the writer on this but his production company is behind the series I, I gotta, you know, some say something very unpopular right now. I don't, I don't care for the Halloween reboots that we have right now. No, you don't. I mean, I, I'll go see them. I'm definitely gonna see Halloween ends like in a couple yeah. when it when it surfaces in a few weeks. No doubt, I'm gonna see that. First one was pretty good. 
second yeah. one, not so much. And the I've, second one, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I just didn't want to forget. When I fucking watched that horrible movie, I I hate that movie. By the way, <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. When 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 we were watching it in my house with a couple friends, we wanted to play a drinking game. That every time they say "Evil dies tonight," you take a shot, sure. and you would be absolutely obliterated by the end of the movie. And we were like laughing about it because they kept saying that. And then like they have the whole police station or whatever chanting evil dies tonight. And I was like, Oh my God, what a, what a waste of a movie. I'm actually still mad about that movie to be honest. You know, you know, what's funny is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is like, uh, she's like fucked up in the hospital bed for most of the movie. Yeah. You know, she's supposed to be this badass, like, you know, death dealer. But yeah, she doesn't do anything. In the movie. She's just all beat up in the hospital. Yeah, well, it was it was like they may as well have just not had that movie, you know, like that. It was just ridiculous. They almost it seemed to me like they erased everything they did with Jamie Lee Curtis's movie in the one prior. That's what it felt like to me, because you're right. You know, it's like she's supposed to be, you know, this Michael Myers slayer. Right. But yeah. she's just she's just laid up the whole time. Yeah, doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't know how the hell they're gonna wrap this thing up. Like Michael Myers, you know, it just he's indestructible. Like, so how's it gonna end for him? You know? Yeah. Who knows? I you know. <laughs> Obviously, I'm gonna see it too. But I have I have zero hopes for that movie because I'm still pissed about what they did with the sequel. I thought the first one was pretty decent, you know? I thought it was pretty good. I yeah. thought they did a good job. But the second one, no way, man. I, I got a grudge against it. So back to Hellraiser. So now, what, what uh, you know, can you, I, I'm going to say that for me personally, I am reluctantly... Um, man, I don't want to say optimistic, man, but like I, I am in, let's put it this way, indifferently optimistic about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think I would agree. Um, especially because like I said, I, I don't have high hopes. I'm just expecting, I'm hoping for something that, you know, I don't want to blow my brains out. I'm hoping for something that's just enjoyable, um, because I don't think we're going to get anything that's going to blow our minds. And if we do, awesome. You know, I, I'm not one of those guys that's just like, no, this movie sucks. I'm not impossible to please. Uh, I, you know, I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to a lot of these movies. So I'm going to check it out. I'm going into it not wanting to hate it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Another kind of frustrating aspect, or let's not say frustrating, but... We don't really have much information to go on. So we're literally only going into this movie because it's a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, the premise uh, that they have out there is, uh, I mean, obviously the trailer's out, but you don't get much narrative from that. Um, yeah. So a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites, a group of sadistic supernatural beings from another dimension. Not much. Very, yeah, very, you know, very, <laughs> very basic. There's really uh, no, you know, nothing, no meat there. Yeah, there's nothing to go on. I think we just got our first uh, picture 
right from from the film very recently as well yeah um and and that's all i i've seen or heard i haven't heard anyone really talking about it um that's in the know uh obviously you know everyone's been talking about the trailer and stuff like that but uh beyond that yeah i mean it's a crapshoot we have nothing to go on we're just literally going if it wasn't called hellraiser i feel like there'd be no interest first of all um which maybe is that's a stupid statement um but at the same time, I, I feel like that's the ploy of a lot of these reboots. It's like they don't have to give you anything away because they know you're going to see it based on what it's called. Which, yeah. it, it, you know, that doesn't really give you much of a reason besides you like the other movies. Well, in, my, in our case, we liked the first one that came out in like 1987 <laughs> or whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if this is good, this would be a. I mean, the that's kind of sad that the last Hellraiser movie that I really love came out before I was born. Yeah. yeah. And the majority of the movies have been out while I was alive. <laughs> so I've been waiting before I was born for another good Hellraiser movie. So yeah, so that, you know, going into this thing. It's it's kind of like a low low expectations, which can can work out. I think you know. Yeah, you know, I, I'm hoping to be proved wrong. I proven wrong. I I hope that it comes out, and I'm like, dude, that was amazing. Um, but I mean, I'm really hoping against hope at this point. And realistically, I don't think that's going to happen to you. No, no. I mean, chances yeah. are the the statistics. Do not favor this movie being successful on a creative level, you know? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so uh, before we sign off, uh, what, what, what do you guys got going on, man, with, with Restless Spirit? Anything anything on the horizon for you guys? Um, Right now, we're going into the studio, actually, uh, a little spread out between October and November, and we're going to be recording our third full length. Nice. And uh, that's that's pretty much it right now. We're putting all like our creative juices into that, and that's where our energies are right now because we all got, you know, kind of a lot of real life stuff going on as well. So we're trying to not just tour too much and record and then get burnout. You know, trying to be responsible about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's it. Yeah, I mean, there'll be news eventually, but right now, it's kind of just it, man. Right on, man. I mean, you know, making a new record is like a, you know, a pretty big undertaking as it is. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a laborious task, but I have a tendency to sort of just go, go, go. And in the past, it's it's been like record while stu- still doing everything else and not stopping. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to do that this time around. I don't think anyone else really wants to do that. You know, I'm not trying to be... Uh, driving us into the ground because that that's no good for anybody. <laughs> now I'm interested to hear how it turns out, man. So, you know, definitely keep me in the, in the loop about all that stuff. Oh, dude, definitely. Of course. Yeah. Got to play more shows together too. Oh, dude, no doubt. I mean, you know, we, we had, uh, uh, we had this big tour that we were supposed to do in November, but that got postponed till the uh, spring of next year because of, uh, you know, it was with some European bands, and there was uh, visa issues, and it got pushed back. So now, you know, we have the pretty much the entire uh, autumn off 
you know, from shows at least. But we're we're also gonna Mike? try to yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Yo, I just lost you. No, that's all right. I was just fucking talking shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I was just saying that we had a, a tour that got postponed till till next year that I was looking forward to, and now we're just focusing on making a new record as well. So, oh, yeah, that's you know finding the silver lining in it. And you know, it sucks because a lot of this visa stuff and, you know, touring outside of the country and just touring in general still messed up from COVID. So, yeah, I mean, no, totally. what can you do? Yeah. Well, thanks for taking time out of your night, man. I appreciate it. Oh, dude, of course. You know, like I'm always down to talk horror movies or music or anything. You get me started and I don't stop. So, <laughs> oh yeah, man. Well, have a good night, Paul. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. I'll take, talk to you soon, man. Take care.